0: So, uh, why don't we get this out of the way, get this out in the open before um, you all start to notice and whisper amongst yourselves and, um, you know, stop paying attention to all the important stuff that I have to say. Uh, Let me just show you what's going on this week. Some of you may already have seen a little bit of cotton batten in the ear, a little bit of Bandage there behind the ear. Let me tell you what, let me tell you what happened this week. I had a little bit of a procedure done at Sunnybrook Hospital in Toronto where um a surgeon took a little bit of neck fat from behind my ear right there, which is why this morning my neck appears so slender and giraffe-like, because I, I've been defatified, took a little bit of neck fat and used it uh uh, to create a replacement eardrum for me, actually, uh, just a part, a patch over 25% of my eardrum, which had um, decayed away. It's the third time I've had this procedure done. So, if this one um, or various forms of it, if this one fails, then we're then we're finished. But I needed uh, an eardrum repair because 23 years ago, this month actually, on September 11th, not that September 11th, but a decade before, in 1991, when I was 18 or 19 years old, um, a couple friends of mine and I, were traveling around Europe in Barcelona, and one night we found ourselves in a small dark alley in the city of Barcelona caught between two camps, a, a camp of rioters and a camp of riot police who were intent on creating trouble with each other because it turns out that our first day in Barcelona, September 11th, is Independence Day, which is the day when all of the protesters march all day and then riot all night long to, to, in an effort to gain independence for the province of Catalonia from the government of Spain. So here we are in a small dark alley in the in the middle of the night or late evening caught between some rioters and some riot police and it was getting increasingly violent and somewhere in the midst of the chaos somebody fired an explosive device from the camp of the rioters, the protesters towards the riot police but it never made it that far. You see, it it instead of exploding at the police it kind of exploded on the wall. Uh, where I was leaning Um, and it exploded back in my face and it blew my eardrum out and it burnt all my hair on this side and it cut my face open in a few different spots and I hit the sidewalk and my friends hit the sidewalk and there I was, 18 years old, lying on a sidewalk in Spain, bleeding out of my head, surrounded by media and the police, thinking, this is it, I am going to die. In fact, this moment in time was probably one of the very first moments in my life where it ever would have really occurred to me, like in a real existential kind of way, that the world is a really messed up place, that the world is not supposed to be, that you're not supposed to lie on the sidewalk at 18, bleeding out of your head, wondering if you're going to live. Um I would love to show you pictures of the whole event except my camera was stolen out of the hospital where I was taken to get my head stitched up. And to this day, I'm convinced that the picture on the front page of the newspaper in Barcelona the day after this event was a picture that I took of the rioter who was standing about 15 or 20 feet in front of me at the camera that, I was, that was stolen from me. This is not the way the world is supposed to be. right? But I don't have to tell you that because you know that. Ten years later, on September 11, 2001, we learned that. But you didn't even need September 11th for you to know that because you know uh, that young mom who's got cancer or that young kid um, who's been beaten with a belt or the baby that was stillborn. Or you've seen the video of the reporter who was beheaded by ISIS You know this world is a messed up place. In fact, it was the very first conversation that I had after the sermon last week where I talked about how God is love. Uh, A guy came up to me that I've known fairly well for the last 20 years, maybe. Lost his first wife to suicide, uh, mental illness. The second wife uh, just up and left. And he came to me and he said, I get that God is love. I just sometimes wonder why God is doing this to me. I lie awake at night wrestling with this question of why God would do this. Maybe he's testing me. Maybe he wants to see how I'll react. I don't know. But his primal response to this whole idea that God is love was to say, I get it. But if... But if God is a god of love, if God is a god whose only character in nature is love, if God is a god who's addicted to love, who's lost the power to choose anything other than love, if God is a god whose love switch has no off position, who cannot do anything except love, then why is the world such a messed up place? Why is my life such a messed up place? It's a question that the church has wrestled with for as long as there has been a church and The church has come up with some pretty bad answers along the way. Some people have said, well, the reason the world is a messed up place is God is sovereign and this is exactly the kind of world he wants this world to be. The world is the way the world is because God has willed it to be this way. This is the world that God wants and that God is somehow exalted and glorified by the world being as messed up as it is. And I just can't buy it. I can't buy it because Jesus said we should pray that God's will would be done, which implies that God's will is not already always being done. But more than that, just take a look around. If this is the world God wants, then God is sick and twisted. I don't want to believe in a God like that. Others have said, no, the world is the way the world is not because God wants this way, but because this is the best possible world, best of all the possible worlds that God could have created. That the reality of evil means there was always going to be evil in the world. But what makes this the best possible world is that God always brings good out of the evil. It's as though evil is the dark velvet backdrop that makes the diamond appear so beautiful. Somebody has said that it's because of evil that people manifest courage. It's evil that draws compassion out of people. Without evil, these things would not exist. That's why this is the best possible world. Take a look around. My response is... You know, uh, a world where one person, one girlfriend fewer gets knocked out cold by their boyfriend in an elevator is a better world than this one. This can't be the best of all possible worlds. So how is it real that God is a God of love whose character and nature is defined by love and yet the world is as messed up and as broken as it is? That's what I want to talk about this morning. The reality of the brokenness of the world and the reality of the fact that this is not the world that God created. This is not the world the way God created the world to be. Let me read a verse to you that I I read to you last week, but I'm going to read more of it this week. Genesis chapter 1, starting verse 26. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness so they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds in the sky and over the livestock and all the wild animals and all the creatures that move along the ground. And God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. I got my uh, paper Bible up here this this morning. I um, tried to upgrade my iPad to iOS 8 and it hung my iPad and see the world's a messed up place if you can't even upgrade your iPad to the new iOS. So the, so the, the Bible in its poetic telling of the origin of the universe says that God who is love saw all that he was made and said that it was very good. The only way for creation to be very good according to a God who is love is if that creation reflects the love that God is. There's a correspondence between the kind of world God created. And the kind of God that God is by his character. The world that God created was a world that was filled with God's love. And then God created humanity it says in his image to be creatures who love. Creatures who as we talked about last week. Who live in God's love in order to live out God's love. Who live in love with God and love relationship with each other. And then it says that God gave Humanity, dominion over all of creation, that God put humanity in charge. He, he mandated that we would partner together in order to care for the creation that God had created. That we were the guardians of creation, actually. The language that's used in the Bible is that we were created to tend and to keep, to serve and to protect God's creation. To cultivate it and to nourish it and to expand um, It's flourishing in the love that God pours out on it. We were to do that. We were to protect creation from everything that would mar it and disfigure Everything that would destroy its goodness, its ability to reflect the character and nature of a God who is love. That was our job. But the Bible tells us that from the very beginning, humanity had a problem with sin. Now, sin is a really easy word to define in scripture. Sin simply means to miss the goal. If your son or daughter is playing hockey and they take a shot at the net and they hit the backboards instead, they've sinned. They missed the target. They missed the goal. God had made us to be the guardians of creation, to nurture it and cultivate it, to expand its goodness and its ability to reflect the character and nature of a God who is loved. And we kind of went a different direction with it. We missed the goal. We aimed at a different target. We did something else than what God had sent us to do. Created us to do. We chose to run God's world out of motivations other than God's love. And that's what messed up creation. That's what has broken everything that's broken about creation not everything is broken by the way a, a baby being born in a sunset and a mountain and there's lots that still reflects god's goodness and beauty and in love in the world but whatever's broken is broken because of sin because creation wasn't meant to run on sin creation was meant to run on love i have a friend who was also touring europe just recently this year with his wife and his kid and they were driving around in a gas-powered vw van i assumed all VW vans were diesel powered. There's a gas powered VW van and he was driving through Northern France and he stopped in at a gas station to fill up his gas powered VW van and he pulled up to the pump and he grabbed the nozzle labeled gazole because he wanted gasoline and he turned to stick the nozzle in the van and he said in that moment he paused and he doesn't know why, but he paused and he stopped and he said and in that second of reflection, he realized that gazole is the French word for diesel. And he put the nozzle back and he grabbed the one that said super, which is gasoline. And he filled up his van. But if he, had, if he had taken a diesel fuel and pumped it into his van that was designed to run on gasoline, several things would have happened all at once. He would have clogged his fuel lines and his fuel filters and his fuel injectors. And in all likelihood, the van would have not even run. It couldn't function off the wrong fuel. If he had been able to get the van to run, and there's a chance that he could have, it would have performed exceedingly poorly, not at all like it was created and designed to perform. And if he had insisted on driving it that way, he would have eventually caused severe engine damage. So I'm led to believe that's what has happened to God's creation sin is sand in the gears of God's creation sin is de- is trying to force God's creation to run on diesel fuel instead of the gasoline of his love creation was never meant to be run by people who are motivated by sin by something other than God's love and when sin enters where love is supposed to be everything gets broken. See, so that's what sin does. Sin creates pain and distortion and destruction. Sin destroys our relationship with God. We said last week that we were designed to respond to God's love by loving God back with all of our heart and soul and mind to live these lives of Godwardly directed love to in devotion and intimacy and faithfulness, just to give ourselves to God in love. But when we choose. To live out of some other motivation than out of God's love, when we choose to sin, that relationship with God, the spiritual part of ourselves, gets broken, and the God who is supposed to be close feels distant, and the God who is supposed to be present feels absent, and. Um, The transcendence that is supposed to fill all of life lived in the presence of God feels empty and vacant and meaningless. It distorts our relationship with ourself. It's not just a spiritual thing, it's an emotional thing. Because, you see, we were created to live in God's love, to root our identity and our dignity and our worth out of the reality that we are loved by God without limit and condition or end. That our worth and our dignity comes out of knowing that we are loved. But when we choose to live out of some other motivation. When we choose to root our identity and our dignity and our worth in something other than God's love. We distort who we are. We distort the interior life that we are supposed to enjoy in God's love. And suddenly this interior life that is supposed to be directed upwards and outwards. Now gets directed inwards. It gets bent in a direction that it was never intended to face and all of this ugliness and distortion begins to go on inside of us because we've chosen to live out of something other than God's love it distorts our relationship with each other We're created to live as people in community with each other in this divine dance of being open and vulnerable uh, with each other so that you can be a conduit of God's unconditional, limitless love in my life and I can be a conduit of God's unconditional, limitless love in your life. And then we're to open our arms wider and expand the circle of this divine dance of love and include the forgotten and the poor and the different and the difficult and the stranger and the enemy to invite everybody into this dance of love. But when we choose to live out of something else, our relationships become something other than love. And suddenly we find ourselves living in the hurt of what you've done to me and living in the hurt of what I've done to you. And relationships begin to decay and crumble because we've chosen to do something other than live in God's love and live out God's love. We've chosen to sin. It distorts our relationship with God's creation. God created us to to give us dominion over his creation. To cultivate and nourish or nurture the flourishing of God's creation. And yet when we choose to live out of something other than God's love. When we choose to sin... Suddenly, our motivations with creation become rooted in selfishness and greed rather than service and sacrifice. Suddenly, we exploit creation. Suddenly, we endanger its life. Suddenly, we upset its rhythms. And instead of living together in this symbiotic relationship with our environment that is filled with God's love, we suddenly find ourselves to be at odds with our world, almost in conflict with nature. In ways that God never intended for us to experience. God created us to partner together with each other. To be the guardians of creation. But now when we partner together, we do it in a really corrupt way. We set up these corrupt political systems that are about power and privilege for the few. Instead of justice for the many, especially the forgotten and ignored. We set up these corrupt economic systems that are driven by consumption and greed that widen the gap between the rich and the poor instead of reducing it and eliminating stupid poverty we set up these corrupted cultural systems that value entertainment and comfort rather than service and sacrifice we set up these corrupted religious systems driven by guilt and fear and a desire to dominate and win the culture war rather than being a beacon of hope and life and seeking the welfare of the city as the bible describes When we choose to live out of something other than what God has created us to do and to be and to experience, to live in his love and to live out his love in relationship with him and myself and each other, as we partner together to live in relationship with God's creation, when we choose something other than God's love, everything begins to come apart. Which is exactly the reason the Bible says, that Jesus came into the world. First John chapter 3, verse 8 says this. The one who does what is sinful, the one who chooses something other than living in God's love and living out God's love, is of the devil because the devil's been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. See. What John says is that for all of creation, there have been two forces at work in the cosmos. There has been God who's been at work as a force of love and there has been the devil, God's sworn and mortal enemy who has been at work to undermine the love of God in humanity and in creation. And that all sin... Is rooted in the influence that the devil has over humanity. This power of evil has over humanity. And together under the influence of the enemy. Humanity is banded together to create out of creation. A river of tears and blood and destruction and chaos and pain. And all of it is rooted in the influence of the enemy. The next time you are in some like legitimate pain and you're tempted to ask where's God in all of this or why is God doing this to me just know that God is not doing that to you God is not in the business of inflicting senseless pain that comes from the enemy that's generated by those who live under his influence The one who sins, the one who chooses something other than God's love has been under the influence of the enemy from the beginning, but it says the reason the Son of God appeared, the reason Jesus Christ came into the world was to destroy the work of the enemy, to undermine the undermining, to destroy the destructiveness of sin, to re-love what has become unlove and non-love and anti-love in the world. That's why... God came into the world in the form of Jesus Christ. In fact, um, it goes on to say in 1 John chapter 4, verse 8. I read this last week. I'll read more. It says, whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sin. Jesus comes into the world to re-love what has become unlove, non-love, and anti-love, to undo the undoing that the devil was doing in the world, to grab the steering wheel of creation and slowly steer it back on course to guide the world back into being the creation that God always intended that is very good because it reflects the, his nature, which which is to love. And the primary way in which Christ does this is on the cross. John says, you want to know what love is? God is love. You want what love is? Just look at the cross. That's what love looks like. It looks like a God who is willing to give up everything and anything in order to humble himself, to set aside the divine privilege in order to become a human being and enter into our world. Because God created humanity with the mandate to manage his creation. It had to be a human being who redeemed it when it went wrong. So God comes into the world as a human being. And then, as a human being, he gives up anything and everything he has the most valuable commodity that any of us have, our very lives, to die a humiliating death on the cross to voluntarily become the victim of merciless, pitiless violence, to be victimized by the very worst that evil and sin could throw Jesus' way, to stand in the face of a tidal wave of cosmic evil, the likes of which no one had ever experienced for all of the time frame of human history. To allow the devil and evil to do its worst to him. And when sin had done its worst to Christ and sinned him literally to death on the cross, three days later, God raised Jesus from the dead, definitively declaring once for all time that love wins. In the end, that this act of love of Jesus to stand in this torrent of sin and in the midst of his victimization to unconditionally and unqualifiedly forgive the very people who were sinning against him in love, that single act of love, had the power to overwhelm all of the forces of evil, to break the back of sin in the world so that sin no longer has the last word on the way human history goes from there. In the resurrection, love wins. Jesus slides into the driver's seat of human history and begins the long, slow journey of steering God's creation back on course to become the kind of world that God declares to be very good because it reflects his nature, which is to love. Love wins in the end. And that's what we're gonna celebrate in just a couple minutes. As we take communion together, if the servers wanna go and begin to prepare communion is the celebration of this moment in time when God become human, dies on a cross and exercises his love in the face of unrelenting evil to conquer the power of evil in the world and to create a space for love to live in creation. We eat the bread and we drink the juice as a reminder of Jesus' body and blood through which love conquered sin. In the world. And if you are here this morning and you want to experience the the conquering love of God overwhelming the power and brokenness of sin in your life, this is your moment. Because the Bible says that those who open themselves up to what Jesus Christ has done for them on the cross in unleashing the power of love into a broken, sinful, dying, dark, chaos, painful, hurting world those who open themselves up will receive forgiveness it's an economic metaphor it's though we had been living in a debt with god a debt that we couldn't pay for failing to be the person he'd created us to be. Living in his love and living out his love. To spread his love throughout all of creation. A debt that we could never pay back. But when we open ourselves up and say, Jesus, I want to experience that kind of love in me because of you on the cross. We get to experience forgiveness. Where God just cancels the debt. We get to experience adoption where our heavenly father with whom our relationship has been broken who seemed distant and far and absent in our lives now stoops down and adopts us into his family as his sons and daughters we become reconnected to God as his children We receive what the Bible describes as reconciliation where all of the relationships that we've broken not just with God but with ourselves and with each other and with creation and in the the corrupted systems that we've created all that has been broken now gets reconciled back to God's original vision for it. It slowly over time day by day moment by moment becomes the thing that God always created it to be it is reconciled back to God's vision for it. We experience what the Bible describes as redemption. By His blood, Jesus purchased the right to set us free from the power of sin, whereby we had no choice but to respond in sin and create more hurt. But now, because of Christ, He's purchased us and set us free. And now, in relationship with Him, we have the power to choose love and to bring healing and hope into the world. We get to experience victory. The kind of victory in which love wins over the power of sin in my life, in my relationships, in my community, in my little part of the world because of what Jesus did on the cross if you want Christ to do that in you to begin in you the long slow journey of guiding you back to the life that God always had planned for you which is a life of living in God's love and living out God's love then i invite you this morning to take communion with us In the spirit of repentance, it says, I'm tired of going the way I'm going. I'm tired of living out of selfishness and greed. I'm tired of living out of pain and hurt. I'm tired of living out of pity and self-pity or whatever it happens to be. I'm tired of going the way that I was going. I'm tired of missing the mark i'm tired of shooting somewhere other than the goal i want to live the life you invited me to live to live in your love and to live out your love that's what i want for my life and i believe jesus that you can do that in me and through me and i ask you to do that today if that's you this morning take communion with us and begin the journey of allowing your life to be restored to the vision that god always had that it would be very good in the way that you live in his love and live out his love let's pray together father we come to you this morning as those who know that we need you we need your love we need the power of your love to win out over the power of sin in our lives we need you the power of your love to bring healing into the brokenness in our lives we need the power of your love to win the victory over the ways in which we're experiencing defeat in our lives we need the power of your love to prop us up Um, in the places where we're stumbling in our lives. We need the power of your love to set us free in the place where we feel trapped in our lives so that we can become, God, the person you'd always created us to be, the one who lives in your love and lives out your love for the sake, uh, for for your sake, for Christ's sake, for my sake, for community's sake, and for the sake of the world. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the cross. Thank you that love conquers all. And we pray that we would become, even this morning as we partake in communion, the story of the healing power of your love. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.